am Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and today is January 1st, 2022. I had to think about that for a second. It's also the day I celebrated my eight years of continuous, clean, and sober time. And I got to celebrate it with a whole host of friends in Alcoholics Anonymous, thanks to being online in Zoom rooms. It was fantastic. I've done fellowship all day long. And one of the things I did was have the opportunity to travel without ever leaving my desk chair to South Africa and attend a meeting called Friends in Recovery. And I had the honor and privilege of sharing my experience, strength, and hope with them. And I'd like to share it with you. Hi, everybody. My name is Lisa, uh, and I am an alcoholic. Um, And yes, I'm not feeling the greatest today. I am a migraine sufferer. I kept muting myself. They'd unmute me and I kept muting myself because I'm having, I had a bit of an asthma attack, so I was coughing a lot and I had to take my puffer. So hopefully I won't have to mute myself again and this will go uh, smoothly today. Um, I'd like to share with you a little something that I do uh, before I talk. Um, Dear God, uh, I ask that you join us today in this meeting. Um, I ask that you speak through me uh, because I know that I cannot do this alone. I cannot carry this message alone. If someone in this room needs to hear a message, I ask that you speak through me and help deliver that message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Amen. Um, So that's how I begin all of my talks when I share. Um, Usually I just do it in my head. Um, But I thought that that was important because uh, when I speak with uh, newcomers or I have a sponsee that I work with, one of the rules is you will not write a speech. Um, This is supposed to be us carrying our message from the heart, right? Um, Our experience, our strength, and our hope. And uh, I'm supposed to share with you what I was like before Alcoholics Anonymous, what happened, and what I'm like today. And I like to say, hopefully it's different. Hopefully I'm different today, and you will see that based on my behavior and my actions. Um, I also heard a little while ago something called the set-aside prayer. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. I really like that prayer, the set-aside prayer. So um, I'd like you to set aside everything you think you know about me upon first judging me by seeing me here in this little Hollywood square. Because if you're anything like me, the judgments start from the moment I meet somebody. (laughs) Oftentimes before they've even opened their mouth, you know, because that's, I'm that crazy alcoholic. You know, there's a lot of things going on in my head. I wish they weren't going on in my head. Uh, I feel sometimes like I have no control over those thoughts and feelings, uh, which is definitely a qualifier for why I need to be here. I'm also probably going to talk more about um, my my thinking um, than my drinking, because obviously I'm an alcoholic or else why would I be here, right? I wouldn't be here. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, why I drank. Um, and how I drank and how it ruined my life. Um, I usually start with um, uh, uh, some trauma that happened to me when I was a child so that you can understand uh, where the beginning was for me. Uh, At five years of age, I was abducted by a neighborhood pedophile and it was my mother who found me and rescued me, although she didn't find out until three months later um, that that's actually what had happened. She had that fear Uh, And when she showed up at the door and practically kicked it in, um, the 
lies that came out of the man's mouth and the denial that came out of his mouth assuaged her and she uh you know took me and we went to the car and we went away and she said to me did he do anything to you and that was the first time i ever told a lie that was my first lie and the lie that came out of my mouth was no um because he had told me um that my mom wouldn't love me anymore that i had brought this on myself that I was dirty, um, that I had asked for it, uh, and I believed that. Uh, he was an adult, I was a child, and I was five years old. Uh, unfortunately, my parents didn't learn the truth until night terrors kicked in over several months, and by then it was too late, and this was back in the 70s, and then that was it. You didn't talk about it. There was no therapy, there was no counseling, um, there was no justice at that time. Uh, so I was left to, to deal with that on my own as a five-year-old kid. Um, so my first lie. My first lie then leads to other things. Um, a lot of uh, internal discomfort going on. Um, not knowing how to handle those emotions. New emotions for me. Um, like fear. Uh, distrust. Um, later on, those things would grow. As I grew, um, those things grew into rage. I was never taught how to um, communicate, how to be amongst other people, how to be in relationship with other people, how to relate rightly to the world. Uh, so I think like all of us, we figured it out on our own. And I like to call those my default settings. Uh, you know, the factory settings that I arrived with were messed up. Somebody messed up with them in the factory and I got all the bad settings on how to deal with life. Um, and those settings were things like um, rage, uh, dishonesty, you know. People pleasing is a form of dishonesty. Um, trying to fit myself in to a formula or to a concept so that I can get other people to like me is a form of dishonesty. Um, doing things so that I can be one of the crowd, that's also dishonesty. Um, so these are a lot of the character defects, the thinking that's happening before I've even picked up a drink. But then I discovered alcohol in high school. The other thing I discovered in alcohol, and I sometimes I'll start my story off, I try to start it off on a lighter note, and I say, you know, drinking took me to dark places. Sometimes I slept with men. Um, and if you, you know, know me, you'll get that joke because I'm a lesbian. So me sleeping with men is an odd thing. So, um, <laughs> so in high school, I discover alcohol to deal with this other issue that I'm having where I'm not fitting in because I'm not like the other girlfriends I have in high school who are all talking about boys. Um, and I'm like, ew, boys. <clears throat> so yeah, I certainly didn't fit in there, but I discovered alcohol and alcohol helped me uh, deal with not fitting in with all the feelings I was having with the rage issues that I was having um, and it set me free for a time it set me free um, it was my solution you know I had pro I had a thinking problem and I had a feeling problem uh, and when I drank I didn't care anymore I, it felt like I didn't care anymore. I'm sure I still did. Um, but every problem I had, I just piled more alcohol on it. Um, so 
and I, and right from the start, I was a blackout drinker. Excuse me. Um, the, from the very first time I drank was at a friend's high school party. Her mother was an airline stewardess and she'd gone away for the weekend and we got messed up. And I don't know how it is humanly possible for a 16-year-old girl to ingest that much alcohol and survive. And somehow I did, and I tell you, I wished I had not. It was the worst three-day hangover I think I'd ever experienced. And I kept saying things like, I'll never drink again. And guess what? Next Friday happened. And it happened all over again. So there you go. 16 to 35, that pretty much sums up my drinking career. It's a lifetime of things like that. Uh, drinking to oblivion, drinking to blackout, thinking that a blackout drunk was normal. I thought that everybody drank that way. <laughs> I wouldn't know until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous that that's not normal drinking. And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I just thought you guys were going to teach me how to drink. You know, not the way I was, because clearly that had caused some wreckage in my life and it wasn't working out. Here's some other things that caused wreckage in my life. Um, I became um, so obsessed with getting what I wanted because I felt that the world had denied me the things that I wanted for a long time. Things like love, security. I felt like I'd been abandoned. I felt like um, no one had ever understood me. Uh, so um, <laughs> I developed things in my being, like being selfish, uh, being self-centered. Um, and when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and you guys talked about um, a God of your understanding, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. That was one of the things that after the first lie, one of those things that grew in me was this lie that if there is a God that watches out and protects everyone, he missed me. <laughs> that must be for everybody else because I felt like, where was God when things had happened to me? So I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. You guys talk about steps one, two, and three, and you talk about things that I do not like. You're telling me that I'm powerless, that I can't control situations. I am all about controlling situations. I'm especially about controlling other people to try to get what I want. So I did not like that step. And then you said that I would be restored to sanity. And well, right away, I'm offended. You're saying that I'm insane and we're in a fight. Uh, <laughs> and I was not afraid to tell you what I thought, you know, even though I was 30 days sober because I came in with opinions and, uh, <laughs> and I felt everybody needed to hear them. And I did not know how wrong I was. Um, <laughs> I, it is my eight year anniversary today. So today is my eight year anniversary of being clean and sober. Uh, a little math for you mathletes out there. I first came into the program in 2005 and um, it did not stick. Probably because I wore Wonder Woman bracelets and I was like, pew, pew, first step, pew, second step, pew, third step, get away from me. I don't want your God. You know, <laughs> it didn't stick because I didn't work it. I didn't practice the steps. I didn't listen. I didn't follow suggestions. That's, that was for other people. Um, uh, I was used to telling people how things were going to go. Uh, so yeah, it didn't work for me. I came in, um, I had a relationship. Uh, it was about, I think there was about eight years into my relationship. Uh, in Canada, we hadn't yet had the right to marry. Now we do. 
Um, and she had a child from a previous relationship. So I'd had all those things that I'd thought I'd wanted, you know, I had a partner, I had a child. I never thought that I would ever be, uh, graced with a child in my life. And then I met this woman who had a child. It was like, bing, just add water, instant family. I was super happy. Um, but I wasn't because nothing was ever enough for me. I also have the disease of more. So, um, once I get something, and I had this problem a lot with women. Like once I got somebody, then I was on to the next challenge. It's like, but wait a second. You spent all this time and effort getting this partner and now you're cheating on this partner? And again, I'm thinking this is just normal behavior. And I'm wondering why am I always unhappy? Why am I restless, irritable, and discontent? Um, it's just, it comes down to my thinking and my drinking I thought was a solution. And that solution wrecked my life. It was my partner who said, you need to fix your drinking or else we're done. So I came into Alcoholics Anonymous for the wrong reason. I came in for someone else, but hey, it got me in the door. And then I tried to work the program, you know, like not work it, but I tried to make it suit me and pick and choose the parts that I liked and I thought were good for me. Um, and I learned that that didn't work. Um, because the thing that was supposed to change, the thing that needed to change the most was me. And I didn't because I wasn't doing any of the work and I wasn't listening and I certainly wasn't following suggestions. So after about two and a half years, um, the sponsor that I had originally die had uh, died and um, I went back to do his eulogy. Um, I went back actually a month before to see him on his deathbed and uh, I had a secret and the secret was that just after two years of sobriety, I'd started to drink again. Why? Well, it was my partner's fault, you see, because she was drinking around me and she was having parties and, uh, and I couldn't drink. And so I thought if I couldn't drink, then no one should drink around me. <laughs> so, uh, we would have these parties and friends over and I would clean up and there'd be leftover booze. Who does, who leaves booze around? And so I would do the dishes and finish the booze. That's how my first slip slip. I didn't fall on the drink. It didn't accidentally fall into my mouth. I made a choice consciously to pick up a drink. I drank it and then I lied and I kept it a secret. And that kept me very sick for a few more years. I couldn't even tell that sponsor because I felt shame and guilt and remorse that I had picked up a drink. And so he died thinking that um, I had made it to three years and I hadn't. Oh, see, I'm weak today because I have a migraine, so I'm a little bit emotional. And uh, he asked me to do his eulogy. And what I didn't know was that he'd left me. <laughs> Sorry. His 20-year medallion. That was what he left me in his will. I still have it, it's beautiful. Um, but I felt such shame because <laughs> I didn't tell him the truth. So it was a lesson, it was a moment of learning for me. You know, the lies have to stop. Um, I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous, I got another sponsor. Um, I thought I was following the suggestions. You know, I picked a sponsor this time, I picked a lady um, she had some things I wanted, you know, she had a relationship, she had a house, she had a car. <laughs> That's what you guys told me, get someone who has what you want. 
I didn't figure out yet that it that it wasn't material things you were telling me that I should be in search of. It was spiritual, emotional, uh, peace, stability, contentment, the ability to face life on life's terms. I've grown to understand that those are the things that I need. Um, that mentor got a brain tumor and died. And so in seven years of being around Alcoholics Anonymous, what I had learned was don't drink. You're an alcoholic. And that guy even said to me on his deathbed, this is a dear mentor. He was my sponsor's husband. And he said to me, if you drink, Lisa, I will come back and haunt you. <laughs> and I promised him I wouldn't drink. And I kept that promise. Um, I have not drank. But I'm always looking for an easier, softer way. So I went out and did drugs instead because I couldn't cope with my feelings. Here I am again. I've been around this program for seven years and I can't cope with my feelings and my thoughts and my ideas and my thinking in my head tells me, well, you need to find a solution for this, you know? And again, I'm in isolation. I'm not talking about this with my sponsor. I'm not talking about this and asking for help. I'm coming up with a solution on my own. Does anyone else see the problem with this? I am doing it on my own once again. So I went out for a year. And after a couple of near-death experiences, um, I finally called my sponsor Broken at 8 or 7 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Day on 2014. And uh, this is the guy who I picked up after my uh, mentor passed away and my female sponsor, she couldn't sponsor anyone at the time. She was devastated. So I'd had this other guy, Luke, temporarily sponsor me. He was the guy who I didn't tell that I'd decided drugs would be a good choice. And I just slowly disappeared from AA a second time. Um, and it was horrible. It was worse. I did drugs the same way I drank. You know, I am an addictive person. Um, I'm always looking for that easier, softer way. And, uh, uh, so I called him and he asked me some questions. He said, you know, when I said, would you be my sponsor again? I thought he was going to welcome me back with open arms and be all lovey-dovey and squishy and supportive and hear my stories and, you know, give me some self-pity. And, uh, he said, why should I? <laughs> What's going to be different this time? I thought these questions were mean. But you know what? Usually when Lisa thinks something is mean, it's because it's a good question. It's an honest question. It was a valid question. What is going to be different this time? And probably the first honest words to come out of my mouth ever. And I said, because I am truly and utterly broken and I have tried to do it my way and it's not working. And he said, are you willing to follow a few simple suggestions this time? And I said, yes. And he said, are you willing to go to any lengths? And I said, yes. Actually, no, I didn't say yes. I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, there it is. <laughs> there it is. There's your defiance. I'm like, oh, damn, you're right. So that began our relationship um, eight years ago today uh, where I have listened to my sponsor. I have followed the suggestions, uh, especially the ones I don't like. Um, you know, on pages 60 to 63, if you want to know who Lisa is, go read those pages. I am defined perfectly in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am the actor. I am the director. I am trying to control everything. I'm trying to manipulate the stage, the lights, and I want to be the star. 
and the playwright. So, you know, that specifically describes me. I have a disease of the mind that tells me constantly that maybe I know better. And, uh, and it can be tricky. Like, you know, it will, it has in the past. I feel that the obsession has been removed from me, but in the past it used to tell me things like, are you sure? Are you sure you can't drink? Maybe you can drink. Come on, wouldn't a drink be nice right now? What about another easier, softer way? An outside issue. How about that? You're an alcoholic. You can do that. No, shut up. I tell that voice now to move to the, move to the back of the bus or just get off <laughs> because I'm not driving it and you're sure as hell not taking over. I have a higher power today in my life, which is actually one of the miracles of Alcoholics Anonymous um, because this person felt that God had forsaken her. Um, and one of the things my sponsor said was, you don't need to understand God. You don't need to define God. You don't need to tell me what your God is. You just need to believe that you are not it. You need to turn your life over to something else. And for a, a while, that was my sponsor. I let my sponsor give me directions. And I had, and it's interesting because in doing that, I learned to trust someone else. And more importantly for me, this person who had suffered from abuse, I learned to trust a man. I put that trust in him and it was beautiful. And through doing these steps, um, I have done things like I have forgiven that person that molested me because I realize that they are sick. Um, I forgave God for what I thought was abandoning me um, because I realized that God didn't do that to me. That there are people on this earth who are not well and they have freedom of choice and free will, just like I did every time I chose to look for an easier, softer way, like picking up a drink. That person who did what they did to me, they made a choice. And I'm sure they didn't consult God first when they did it. So I learned to forgive my higher power. I learned to take accountability for my actions. Um, and that doesn't mean uh, I go around saying sorry all the time. It means I changed my behavior. And to me, that's what this program is all about. By following a few simple suggestions, as my sponsor puts it, by doing the steps and starting to incorporate them in my everyday life. And, and I hope, God willing, um, that I continue on this journey because I just want to keep improving. It never ends. You don't complete the 12 steps. At first, when I came here, I thought you were going to give me a certificate and send me on my way. I have not gotten my certificate yet. I don't know if it's coming in the mail, but, um, you know, I've done the 12 steps and I do them again and again and again. Um, I've done really in-depth fourth steps. I've done really fast short steps. Um, I have a sponsor who I take my stuff to when I'm crazy talking. And then he helps me find the solution. Usually there, it's in the first 164 pages. Sometimes it's on page 552 or 417. But almost always it's in the big book. And if it's not in there, it's up there. I pray, I ask for help, and I wait for direction. That is something I never did in the past. I wait for direction. I'm looking for my timer. Okay, there. Um, uh, yeah, I, um, I wait for direction. I ask for help. That is another thing that I never used to do. Um, I, I realize that I can't do it on my own, and I don't need to. Isn't that beautiful? Um, I went to bed early last night on New Year's Eve. There was never a New Year's Eve in my drinking time where I went to bed early. I just passed out. 
um, you know, and someone else had to take care of me. And that's not the case today. You know, I, I help other people today. Um, I want to thank uh, my, my sponsor. He's not here today, but I'll thank him anyway um, because he was patient. And if you think that you have a mean sponsor, good. Stick with that person because they're probably telling you the truth. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned from my sponsor, Luke, was that he loved me so much he was willing to have me not like him. He was willing to have me sometimes hate him. And that was okay with him. And what he said to me was, Lisa, I love you so much that I want to save your life. And it doesn't matter if you hate me. We have a fourth and a fifth step for that and we'll get there. And we did. <laughs> um, and I think I'll end with that. I just want to thank you. Um, Carmen, thank you for hearing me speak at another meeting and asking me to come share my experience, strength, and hope at this meeting. Uh, I love all your accents, eh? You guys have crazy accents. I had to throw the A in there because I know you were waiting for the Canadian to say that. So I did. And with that, I wish you all another 24 hours of blessed sobriety. Thank you.